It was good to be with everyone this evening. My name is Joseph Bianca. I'm the assistant pastor at the city. Um, I do not always sound like this. I have a cold. So if you come another week and you hear a different voice, then that's why. Um, I want to welcome you to our evening service. This is uh, our second service of the day. We generally have a morning service in a different location and at the 20th Century Club in Oakland, and we're here intentionally in this space to be a broader witness to the city of Pittsburgh. So we are glad that, that you are with us. Um, the psalm we have before us is Psalm 16, and this psalm is a pretty classic psalm. It's a, a messianic psalm, and we'll get into that in just a minute. I'm going to read uh, this Psalm 16. This is the Word of God, and then our response to this psalm will be, thanks be to God. So hear the Word of the Lord. From Psalm 16, a mictum of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out. Or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, as we come now to prepare our hearts Lord, to hear this word preached, we recognize our weakness. We recognize that, Father, if we don't have your spirit at work in us, then we will not hear what we just read. So, Father, I ask that your spirit would be present here with us, that your spirit would be at work, that you would give us soft hearts. Father, that you would give us ears that are willing to hear, and not just hear, but to listen and to apply these truths to our lives. Father, I recognize my own weakness as I preach this and pray that you would even use my weakness, Father, for your glory. We ask it all in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So let me begin by telling you a story. Um, so have you heard the expression, I'm sure you have, a kid in a candy store. You've heard that expression. The expression means that children, when, put, uh, in, when they have candy put in front of them, will have eyes that grow big, They'll have mouths that water, and if you let them, they will eat themselves till they're sick. So now two things came together for me and my brother when we were about eight and ten. Back in the day, we had these things called video stores. Um, these are where you'd actually go to a store and you'd rent videotapes because everything wasn't streaming then. And I might have actually seen one around the other day, but I think it actually was closed. It was family video down on 51. But um, in Mount Lebanon, when I was young, we had a video store, it was called Instant Replay Video. And um, they did this promotion with this candy machine 
down at the video store, and they made this promotion. It was a candy, it was a gumball machine full of colorful gumballs, and on some of the gumballs were painted free rental. So then you could get a free rental if you got a gumball. So it didn't take long for my brother and I to figure out that a video rental costs about $2 and a gumball about 25 cents. So then if we spent $2 trying to get gumballs out of this gumball machine, maybe we would hit a free rental. So we did this. And generally, at about $1.25, you would hit a free movie. And eventually the store owner caught on to what we were doing and they removed the gumball machine because we ruined their promotional. Now that expression, a kid in a candy store, isn't it not just true of children, but it's true of me and it's true of you. We long for, we desire, we weasel our way to get things that appeal to us, things that seem good. But what's the trick with candy? It's not really good for us. It may look good, it may feel good, but it rots the teeth and it ruins the gut. Now, that's so much more true outside of candy. I bet you can think of things in your lives that you long after, that appear good, but God's word speaks against those things. In our text today, David tells us that he has no good apart from the Lord. He's no good apart from God. That there are, there are things that appear good, but the only true good is what God says is good, what comes from him. And I bet you can think of things that appear good to man, but God says no to them. So for instance, how about an easy one? Uh, how about drunkenness? Drinking too much can feel good. It feels so good. How can it be wrong? Or how about social pressures? Like when a whole society says, we think this thing's good, but God says, no, that's not actually good. I bet you feel those pressures all the time on you. Or how about control? Control feels good, doesn't it? But what if scripture says we're to hand control over to God? So what I want us to walk away with today is to trust that when God says something's good, he means it. And we should choose that good because his word is trustworthy. And he's trustworthy. As David says, I have no good apart from him. So first we're going to look at what exactly is good. What is good that David's talking about? Then we're going to see the good we inherit. And lastly, we're going to learn how to rejoice in God's goodness. So what is good? The good we inherit and rejoicing in God's goodness. So what is good? Psalm begins in verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. But then David connects God's protection and preservation to his goodness. In verse 2, I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So we need to ask an important question of this text today. What does David mean when he says he has no good apart from the Lord? From God. What is good here? Is it good things that he gets from God? Or is it goodness? Like David is made good or righteous because of God. Furthermore, is there really no good apart from God? I mean, I see people all the time who don't know God and they seem to have good. So let's begin by answering the first question. What is good? 
And we can answer it by understanding this verse about refuge. So David is saying that there are other things that he needs protection from. These could be many things. They're not listed, but these could be people, philosophies, ideas, anything that wants to draw him away from his relationship with God. And so he begins with a cry for preservation, for rescue. Now in verse 4, he does name some of these things. They're people that run after other gods, or worship other gods, or offer sacrifices to other gods. People that think that goodness could come from these other idols. So then the good that David was talking about in verse 2 has to be in contrast with these false goods. I would argue that the good is not just good things and it's not just goodness, but anything that comes from God. Anything and everything that God provides is good. In contrast, anything not of him is not good. Apart from him, we have no good. Which also means that anything not of him, though it appears good, like the candy, is not actually good. Let me repeat that. Anything not of him, though it appears good, is not good. Why? Well, you might say, plenty of things seem good apart from God. And I want to show you that I think the answer actually lies in verse 3. It lies in the saints, the holy ones. You see, the Hebrew word for saints isn't like the saints you see in a stained glass window, like if you went to an Episcopal or a Catholic church. The saints in Hebrew is from the word sanctified, or made holy. The saints are the made holy ones. And who's a holy one? Well, anyone who gets their good from God alone. I'm not here in this a psalm, but in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 2, Paul says this, introducing um, the letter. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified, that is, those made holy, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who are in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. You see, those who have faith in Jesus, who is God, Jesus' goodness, his righteousness, makes that person holy. Because God is good, you can be good. And I can be good. If you find your goodness in him alone. And because everything is tainted by sin since the time of the fall of Adam and Eve, only God is the one who can make things good. So David is drawing this comparison, and it's not actually just between people who don't believe in God, in verse 4, and, and or, or, yeah, who do believe in God in verse 3, but verses 3 and 4, it's between people who trust in God for their goodness, their holiness, versus people who call themselves God's people, but who actually don't trust in God for their goodness, or they get their goodness from other things, other gods. You see that in the text. So look at verse 3. It says, The saints in the land, they are his excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Remember, saints, those who are made holy. Verse 4. The sorrow of those who run after other gods shall multiply. What's he saying? David's saying that there are a bunch of people who claim to be God's people. But some of those people are running after other gods. Because they're not finding their goodness in the Lord alone, the one true God. Remember, this psalm is written to God's people. It's not written to not God's people, though it certainly has a word for them. So he's challenging Israel here. Don't run after other gods. 
Here's the catch, though. The people who are the saints, who really are God's people, are not his people because they do good, but because they find their goodness in him. Everything and anything that is truly good, whether it is a physical gift or our righteousness, all things come from him alone that are good. You cannot earn it. You can't buy it. You can't take a loan out and repay it. Any good thing comes from God. And the people that believe in that are called his saints. And you know, if you think about it, this actually makes sense. That there's a lot of things in our lives that can appear good, but the text is saying that if God hasn't made it good, then it's not. So I'll give us a few examples. So pornography is a prevailing issue in our culture, in our time, throughout the whole world, many cultures, for men and women. It's addictive, it can feel good, it can appear good. Um, but because God has called our hearts to be united fully to our spouses, and there remains an expression of God's covenant, love, and faithfulness, we are told that that expression outside of marriage is not good. It's not good. Or how about, I'll give you another one, how about gossip? Gossip can feel good, and it might be fun and appealing at the moment for us, but God warns that gossip can hurt others. And so although it can appear good, it can feel good, it's not actually good. I'll pick a more controversial one. How about what the Bible says regarding gender and sexuality? For, for us, it may appear good to endorse someone's feelings about their, their uh, sexual desire or their orientation or the partner that they have. But if God gives us marriage between a man and a woman and he says, this is good and this is right, then do we trust his word and believe, yes, this is good? Or do we, verse 4, follow after other gods? My point is that we ought not to say that we believe in God and then do whatever we want because it feels right. Because God is good, his commands are good. And because there is no good apart from God, we can only truly know what is good as if, if we know him, if we have a relationship with him. This is a pretty strong challenge to us today because of the idea of autonomy. Autonomy is the belief that I get to choose what's good. And in America, autonomy rules the day. We're an autonomous culture, so this can feel hard for us. But I want to give us some encouragement by looking exactly what is it that God is saying is good. I want to look at our inheritance, what we inherit. It's our second point. So let's get straight to the, to the meat grinder here, as my old professor used to say. Inheritance, by the very word, implies that there is nothing that you can do to earn it other than belonging to the person that you're inheriting from. So I'm in verses five to six. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a beautiful inheritance. What are these lines? Well, remember, God gave um, Israel the promised land. So in one sense, David, King David, is remembering the literal physical inheritance of the land that he has received. But there's something interesting that's happening in the word uh, um, uh, pleasant places in the Hebrew. In Hebrew, the word is actually only pleasant. Places isn't there. Um, it's actually the same word in verse 6 as in verse 11 where it says pleasures. You can kind of see it in the English. In verse 6, pleasant. Verse 11, pleasures. Um, the ESV adds places because it fits the context of geographical lines. 
But even at the end of verse 11, the reader realizes that this inheritance goes way past physical boundaries of land. It is pleasures forevermore. So our inheritance is not just what we receive in this world, but it's in the world to come. Every good thing we have is from God. But here's the temptation with our inheritance. Some things you inherit already, but some things you have to wait for. And what you already inherited, you can forget or you might not like. You might not be satisfied with. So I know this can feel true for me. God says to me, here are all the good things I've given you, Joseph. So for a Christian, I just want to list some. First, it's a relationship with God. It's not a small thing. Union with Christ, the forgiveness of my sins. God's very spirit, fellowship with the saints, the excellent ones in whom is all my delight, which is all of you. He gives us eternal, steadfast love, a love as high as the heavens are above the earth. We read that in Psalm 103 a few weeks ago. He gives us a renewed spirit. He gives us his wisdom and his counsel, which we'll get to in a moment. He gives us eternal life with him. And of course, every physical thing that we have, from the air I breathe to our families, like my wife and my son, my daughter on the way. And I can feel tempted to look elsewhere rather than to look at what God has given me. And I'm tempted to find goodness in other places. I know I can struggle with this, and I bet you can struggle with this as well. This is why we need to be reminded that what God says is good is really good. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. We all have different lots in life. But what God has given to you, he holds. And he says it's good. And that which he hasn't given to you either is being is coming or he says this is not for you. And it's a simple truth, but isn't it hard to believe? And that's where he goes in verses 7 to 8. The ways God counsels and instructs you are part of your beautiful inheritance. Meaning, we shouldn't take for granted that we have God's counsel and instruction. His word here that we're reading today, even if in his word he says something is good, will we believe it? And this is how David says we are to do this. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. It's a good thing to keep God's word always before us. Don't be embarrassed about it. He says it's good. If you're someone who has regular times of devotion in prayer and study, don't be embarrassed because you have memory verses at work or because you bring your Bible into the office or because you can't hang out Sunday night because you need to go and worship the Lord. God says it's good that when we keep him before us, even when the darkness comes, verse 7 says, in the night, another translation is in the darkness. Our heart instructs us. Even in those dark places, we know what is good because we keep God's word before us at our right hand. So I have a friend who memorized this psalm. And he recited it in a men's group that I'm a part of. And ironically, it inspired me to preach on it because I was encouraged by him to see him memorizing and committing scripture to heart. So I'm encouraging all of you as well to believe and know that it is a good thing to practice Christian disciplines. 
I think we can feel that we can only be in the word and care about godly things so much. And if we care about them too much, we become that weird Bible guy. Don't believe that lie. All of this, God's word, our inheritance in Jesus, and our lots, that which we've been given in life. Everything God physically gives us are good and we can rejoice in them. In him. So the question is, how do we, how do we rejoice in God's goodness? This is our third point. This is kind of where the rubber meets the road. How do I not just acknowledge that what God says is good, is good, but actually rejoice in it? I believe the answer lies in verses 9 to 10. There my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. So what is corruption? Well, when you have a file on a computer, I know you've experienced this, because I have. And you go and you click on it, and sometimes it'll say, file is corrupt. Then that file becomes no good anymore. It's not good for what it was intended. Corruption is the destruction of good things. Here David's talking about death. Death is the ultimate corruption of life. Death is where you end up if you follow other gods. Death is what cannot touch his saints. Now, before we talk about how this relates to Jesus, because we know that Jesus' body never saw corruption, this is a messianic psalm, I want you to see that corruption is just the end when we follow things that are not truly good. So I asked a question very early in this sermon. I said that we see people who don't know God, but it seems like they have good. How is it not good? And I think the answer lies actually in understanding corruption. There are plenty of things in life that are good, but can become really bad apart from God. They become corrupt things. So I want you to think of uh, a mother who has a baby. Now you might be thinking, that's the most pure thing. What's corrupt about a mother who has a baby? But I'll tell you as a parent that we can make even good things like our children into idols. I know I can do this. We can take something that God says is good and we can try to have it apart from him. So let's keep on the example of children. I want you to imagine a parent who says, if I don't have my children, then I have nothing. Well, then if that child goes off to college and all of a sudden the parents are alone in the house, then they can't handle it. And they start calling that child every day and checking up on him. And they never allow that child to grow up. They've taken a good thing like being a parent, which is good, and they've tried to have a relationship apart from God with that child and his instruction. Even that good gift of having children can become corrupt. Let's pick a different one. Let's choose romance. Uh, Romance is good. It's good to be romantic. uh, To show a significant other that you care about them by buying them flowers or taking them out on dates, um, writing poems, doing romantic things. But if you take romance apart from God's love for you, then you begin to covet romance. You begin to long for romance in an unhealthy way. No man or woman is ever romantic enough. Romance becomes corrupt. I could, you could give me a thousand good things. We could be here all night. Now we know that God is in the business of redeeming, right? So if you're here today and you're thinking, hey, this is me. 
I do this. I run after other things that God says are not good. Then I want you to hear the hope of the gospel. In Acts 2 and in Acts 13, both Peter and Paul, they give two separate sermons about the gospel to the men of Israel. And in each sermon, when they want to prove from the Old uh, Testament scriptures that Jesus would rise from the dead, both Paul and Peter both quote here in verse 10. You see, King David did see corruption. And we will see corruption. Our bodies will see corruption. But because Jesus conquered death, when they put him in the tomb, we know that he overcame death. He was raised. And because Jesus was raised, and because death was conquered by him, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that we will be raised, and all the effects of death will be reversed. That means that all the striving that you and I do after other gods, because Jesus was raised, he is in the business of redeeming that. Because Jesus was raised, we can have hope that there will be victory over the fight against sin. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we can actually begin to have hearts that can rejoice in the right things, in his goodness. We can have hearts, verse 9, that dwell secure in him. Because when we look to the empty cross, we see a picture of his redeeming work. We see his goodness to us. So we can begin to take pleasure in the right things. I get glimpses of this now and then, those small moments when you experience God's goodness because you took pleasure in something he told you to take pleasure in. So for me, um, it was the other day I had to be home to watch uh, Elisha, my son, while he was, well, my wife was working. And I, I had the option of turning on a television program for him and letting him zone out or spending some time with him. And um, I chose to spend some time with him and it was, it was such a pleasure for me to just watch him run around in his diaper, uh, screaming and yelping. And, and then he'd run over to me and I was sitting on the couch and he'd take my head in his hands and he'd hold my head and he'd kiss me on the nose. And I knew in that moment that God called me to be a father and that it was the right thing for me to just spend time with my son. And I could feel God's goodness to me in that. And I bet you could think of many instances in your lives where you have experienced God's goodness. The more and more we can place our faith in God, the more I think we can orient our hearts to what is truly good, what he says is good. Now, of course, our ultimate good is what? That Jesus Christ was raised and that we will be raised and that we will have an eternal life with him. With our greatest good, which is God, our Father. We can be in his presence. Verse 11, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And we can be those kids that, that love our Father. As we close our time this evening, my hope and my prayer is that verse 11 becomes more and more true in your life. That by understanding what is truly good, by receiving all the goodness of our inheritance in Christ, and by faith, seeing Jesus raised from that cross, we can begin to rejoice in the goodness of God. If we can do these things, I believe verse 11 will become more and more true, a reality in our lives. I believe the things that tug at your heart to pull you away from God, which God says no to, 
are being redeemed and changed by the work of the Spirit in your life. 1 Corinthians 1.20 says this, For all promises of God find their yes in Him. Verse 11 tells us that God makes known the path of life. And this is the path we should take. The path comes through a saving knowledge of His Son. That path comes when you understand your sin and you hand it over to Him. That path comes when you place your faith in Him and when you receive with thanks your inheritance. This path is lifelong. And of course, if you're here today and you're considering Christianity and if your faith isn't yet in Jesus, I want you to know that this path is open to you as well. You have to do one thing, which is to find your goodness in Him. Become a son or a daughter of the living God. You merely have to believe in Him, receive Him by faith. And all of his goodness, all of his righteousness is applied to you. Would you do that? Let's pray.